Welcome to the Nimrod Outdoors podcast, where we challenge and equip men, husbands, and fathers to become the spiritual leaders of the home. Let's dive right in. If you don't know who I am, my name is M.A. Dozier. I am the youth pastor here at Liberty. Pastor David is gone this week, and uh, he somehow uh, gave me the honor and privilege of standing here and bringing uh, a message from the Lord today. Uh, But what amazes me is how the Holy Spirit works things together, uh, and we see things moving. We can look back and see things moving, but um, this, this sermon, I was preparing. The Lord stirred my heart on this maybe three months ago. I started working on it, not knowing the next time I would have an opportunity to preach, um, and just was faithfully working on it. And as it so be, uh, Pastor David, the past several weeks has been talking about end times and end time prophecy. And last week, he spoke about the end times church and talked about the falling away from the church that we'll see in the end times and talked about statistics in our current church state today of how the millennial generation or my generation Less than 30% of millennials are active in the church today, and so we've seen this great fall away. And uh, today, uh, what we're going to be talking about is what is the number one reason we see the fall away from the church, and then also we're going to be talking about um, our call to action and what that looks like. Um, And so mainly today, I'm talking to the men of the church, because we are called to be the leaders. Um, If you're a lady in here... um, There's something in here for you, but this call is to the men. Um, And so we're going to be in uh, our first scripture we're going to be in is in Nehemiah 4, uh, verses 14. But we're going to be kind of moving around through scriptures. We're going to be looking at 1 Kings and looking at King David. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 37. We're going to look at King Hezekiah. And then we're also going to end our time in 1 Samuel chapter 17, looking at David and Goliath. Um, But I'll read Nehemiah 4.14 for us. I believe it will be on the screen. I'm going to read this and then we'll pray. It says, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. And fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, and your wives, and your houses. Um, Just a quick clarification there for the younger generation that is here, where it says, Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. Okay, all the other versions we have, translations we have says, remember the, great, or remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Back in the 17th century when King James was written, they understood this word terrible as being a word of reverence. Okay, we don't use it in the same way today, but I just wanted to clarify that so there was no confusion. But my main focus for this scripture is on the back half where it says, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, and your wives and your houses. Let's pray real quick and we'll get into this. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and hear from your word. I pray that you speak loudly this morning and you make your glory known. And we go out of here following the charge of the Lord and going out fervently seeking out the lost and telling them about your love. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's been said that apathy leads to passivity and passivity leads to death. And in the spectrum of the American church, I believe we are on the downhill side of passivity and death is knocking at our door. We are living in the greatest fall away of the church the American culture has ever seen. As you heard from Pastor David last week, the statistics he said about less than 30% of the millennial generation are in and active in the church. Again, I'm a millennial. I have three kids. 
So what will it look like in another generation? And now we have a third generation after me that has come up. We have allowed the devil to wrap us in a warm, comfy blanket, and he has lulled us to sleep as he continues to steal the generations that come after us. I believe the majority of us in here today can acknowledge the failures of the church, and we have begun talking about these woes of society and the degradation of our culture moving away from the truth of God's holy word. But when are we going to quit talking about it and start doing something about it? In our society today, we idolize physical security. Now, I'd say any society on earth really, really likes physical security, but these numbers are just from the American culture. It says home security is a $56.9 billion industry and is projected to hit $84.4 billion by 2027. Handgun training in America is a $440 million industry, and the firearm industry is an $18.1 billion annual industry. What these numbers tell us is that as Americans, we do whatever it takes to protect our stuff and the ones we love. Amen? Amen. All right. It's biblical. I'll tell you a story from my life uh, that I, I protected my family. Um, Chelsea and I have been married 11 and a half years, and we got married and very quickly bought a house. So we didn't have any money. I didn't have an alarm system. I barely had a deadbolt. Um, but about two months after getting married, we got a cat. And I was not real, real familiar of having an animal in the house. And about a weekend, I get woke up in the middle of the night about 2 or 3 a.m. to a thud. And I sit straight up, and Chelsea sits up. We look at each other, and she's like, did you hear that? And I said, yeah. And about the time those words came out of my mouth, I could hear creaking coming down the hallway. And in one swift movement, I jump out of bed. I have my pillow in my left hand, and I have my fist in my right hand, and I am charging to our bedroom door. Now, we didn't sleep where the bedroom door closed. It was kind of just creaked open a little bit. And as I get to the door, the door swings open, and I'm ready to cold clock whoever comes through that door. And there's nobody there. But then I feel something weaving through my legs, and our cat had come in and weaved in and jumped up on, looked at me like, what are you doing? Jumped up on the bed and curled up. So my adrenaline's going. I think Chelsea's adrenaline's going because I get back in bed. I'm just sitting there, and we're sitting like in silence trying to process everything that just happened. And after about five or six minutes, Chelsea breaks the silence with this question. She said, what were you going to do with that pillow? My answer to her was, I was going to do whatever it took. Listen, that's a funny story, but I'm telling you right now that if you come into my house with intent to harm the ones that I love, you will be met with a man that will give his life in order to defend the ones that God has placed in my charge. Men, you know what I'm talking about. You know that fire that burns in your soul that is willing to give your life and protection of those that you love. But here's the big question. Why are we not doing what it takes in the spiritual realms? Where the eternal future of our children's souls rest. We are willing to fight with our life if someone comes into our homes and looks to harm our families in the physical world. But we're just going to sit back and let the devil and his demonic intruders come into the lives of our children and do whatever he well pleases? Ephesians 6.12 says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Jesus himself said in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who can kill the body, 
but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, there's two things I want to make abundantly clear here. The first one is this. There is a spiritual war being waged for your soul, and it is a very real thing. The second thing is, is the war that we wage in the spiritual realms is not against flesh and blood. That's what Ephesians 6.12 says. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The way war we wage is not against people. It's not against political parties. It's not against other denominations or those of different nationalities, creeds, or race. Our fight is against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, we are all called, every single one of us that claim to be a Christian are called to go out and make disciples. We are called to go share the love of Jesus. But I would venture to say it's very hard for someone to hear the words coming out of your mouth about how much Jesus loves them when you have them in a headlock. See, we need to acknowledge every soul is a soul to be redeemed by Christ rather than a threat to be neutralized. Let's not allow the devil to distract us from this. We are called to seek out the lost, not fight against them. Now, you want to know why our society is in such opposition to God's word? You want to know why the statistics state that only one in 10 of our youth will stay in the church once they turn 18? You want to know why we have people in pulpits preaching false gospels and false, false doctrines? It is because the protectors quit standing up and training up the next generation to walk in the charge of the Lord. In 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we see King David. He's gotten old in his life. He's fixing to pass away. And he's giving his son Solomon some instruction on how to follow the Lord. It says this, starting in, in verse 1 of chapter 2 of 1 Kings. When David's time drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Now, do you see the generational legacy that's being spoke of here? If their sons pay close attention to their way to walk in the charge of the Lord, they will not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Here's the truth of the matter. Solomon didn't just get that magically. David had to teach him what it meant to walk in the charge of the Lord. Are we paying close attention to our way to walk before God and being faithful to him with all our hearts, and all our souls. Here are some numbers that will tell us how we're doing. Now, all these numbers come from an article written in Parenting America Today, and they went out and they surveyed Christian parents. Not parents, Christian parents, church parents. And this is the numbers they came up with. Only 45% of Christian parents initiate faith conversations with their children on a consistent basis. Less than half of the church is initiating faith conversations with their children on a consistent basis. Only 51% of Christian parents read the Bible with their children. Only 35, this one, this one absolutely takes the cake. 
Only 35% of Christian parents say that passing down their faith is extremely important to them. And then when asked, what is the most important parenting goal to them? Only 15% of the church said that their most important goal as a parent is passing down their faith. You want to know why we're dealing with these issues? You want to know why we look at society and we're like, how did we get here? How could this be happening? It's because only 15% of the parents in the church are focused on the eternity of their children and where they will ultimately land. And they are not training them up in the charge of the Lord. Looking at these numbers, it overwhelmingly saddens me that the need for souls to be redeemed by Christ is just as prolific in the covenant members of the church as it is outside its walls. How did we get to the point where reaching the lost included reaching the covenant members of a church? I'll tell you why. It's because we became apathetic and passive to training up the next generation on what it truly means to follow the charge of the Lord. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Be honest with you, church, we've gotten to the point where the devil doesn't even have to prowl around. He just walks around in broad daylight and he's stealing souls and we're just letting him do it. I'm going to ask a question that's going to be very intrusive. It's going to probably make several of you very uncomfortable. But parents, imagine your disgust, imagine your horror if you found out that your son or your daughter was interacting with a child predator on a daily basis. I'm going to let you sit in that for a minute. You got a pit in your stomach? You feel the heat coming up on your neck? Dads with daughters, uncles with nieces, granddads with granddaughters. Imagine your rage if you found out that someone, someone came and told you that someone in your life, a teacher, a coach, a coworker, a family member, or a friend was taking advantage and exploiting your little girl. Look, church, we lock our doors, we set our house alarms, we make strategic plans in a case of emergency, we inform our kids on the horrors and the potential dangers of strangers, yet we're letting the father of all evil waltz into their lives and do the damage he's doing to their souls, and we're not doing anything about it. Where's the outrage? Where's the emotion? Where are the cries to the Lord on behalf of our children? When are we going to stand up, stand firm, stand and watch in protection over the ones God has placed in our charge? Now, I started this whole thing off reading Nehemiah 4, 14. And this is where Nehemiah is talking to these men. He is motivating and spurring these men on to stand and fight on behalf of their families. What we need to know about Nehemiah is that he was charged with building up the wall of Jerusalem. And when he got there, there was... There was altercations at every corner. There were people that were willing to kill him and the people helping him in order to not allow that to happen. And in the verses leading up to it, we see their enemies were looking to infiltrate and kill them. But Nehemiah was not taking the passive route. It says in verse 13, So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. They were ready for the fight. They weren't standing back apathetic and passive. They were prepared to give their life in order to do the charge of the Lord. 
Another instance we see this call to action modeled is actually by our Savior, Jesus. We see this actually in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. This is right before the Israelites are going to take down Jericho, where they march around it and shout to the Lord, and the walls would come down. This is a, a day or two before, and it says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes, and he looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for your adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. It said, And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in hand. In those days, a drawn sword was a declaration of war. This is Jesus, the commander of the armies of the Lord, standing there, sword drawn, ready to wage war. He is our protector, our savior, and he is not passive. He is not apathetic. He stands firm with his sword drawn, ready to wage war and protect those that are his. And we are his. And we are called to do the same for the ones he has placed under our charge. The greatest way we can protect our children is to train them to be warriors themselves. Train them to wield God's word as the double-edged sword that it is. In Hebrews 4.12 it says, For God's word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Let's start diving into God's word and pouring his truths over our children. Let's start talking about the goodness of God in our lives and start telling our kids the commands that he has laid out for us to follow. Let's take hold of the responsibility we've been given, given to raise up our children in the admonition of the Lord, and let's start having intentional, biblical, faith-based conversations with our children. Let's memorize scripture with them. In youth, every Wednesday, I have a scripture verse for them to memorize. I don't force them to do it. But I give them this opportunity because Scripture is our greatest weapon in this war. You see this modeled by Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 4. Starting in verse 1, it says that he was led out into the wilderness for 40 days. And it says, and the tempter came. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but only by the word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up you in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in the splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and the angels came in attending him. Two things I want to notice here. One, Jesus used scripture in order to fight against the schemes of the devil. The second thing I want, and also, he didn't say, Hold on, let me Google a verse for this moment. It was in his soul. It was who he was. 
Scripture says we are to hide his word in our heart, not have it readily handy in our phone. The second thing I want, to note, want you to notice and be very clear on this is notice what the devil used in his second attack. He himself used Scripture in order to try and tempt the devil. This is why it's vitally important we know Scripture, we know its context, and we know and understand it from start to finish because the devil will take a little section and he will just slightly twist it. I want my kids to be so well-versed. I want the Dozier kids to be so well-versed in Scripture that when the devil attacks and he looks to deceive, distract, and bring temptation, my kids stand tall, they stand firm, and they loudly proclaim, away from me, Satan, because it is written. When the devil looks to undercut my daughter's self-worth and attacks their self-esteem, I pray they stand tall and they say, away from me, Satan, for it is written in Psalms 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It is written in Isaiah 43 that God has redeemed me. He calls me by name and I am his. And in Hebrews 13, 5, it says, I will always be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. When the devil looks to attack my son and tells him he's not worthy and tells him that he will never succeed in this world, I pray he stares the devil in the eye and with boldness proclaims what the Almighty said in Isaiah 41. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. See, I want my kids, I want your kids to walk through this life with God's, the Spirit of God in their soul, the Excalibur of God's Word in their right hand, reaching out with their left hand with the love of Jesus to the lost. Are we teaching our kids to keep the charge of the Lord? Do they truly know the reasons for their faith? Have they seen what it truly looks like to follow God through our own lives and what it means to walk in the charge of the Lord? Jesus himself said in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. He also said in Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, it says, the end of the matter has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, we wonder why churches are constantly dying and closing their doors. I'll tell you why. It's because we quit training our kids in the charge of the Lord. And for decades, we have taught this deceitfully false theology that all they have to do is pray a prayer, and then they could go live their life however they see fit. But the gospel tells us something different. The gospel tells us that those that are truly saved crucify their life, surrender all to the calling and leadership of Jesus, and I'm telling you right now, there will be millions, if not billions, of church-attending folks that will be crying out from the pit of hell, wondering how they missed it. Are we diligently teaching our kids that they are called to deny themselves daily, go make disciples, fear God, and keep his commandments? Are we paying close attention to walk before God in faithfulness with all of our hearts so that our children can do the same? Are we diligently showing them what it looks like in our own lives? Next, 
Are we interceding for prayer on behalf of our children? I said at the very beginning of this service, prayer is powerful, and it is a blessing to me and my family. Do you know that prayer is an act of war in the spiritual realms? It is our first line of defense, and it is powerful. In Isaiah chapter 37, we read of a war coming against King Hezekiah in the cities of Judah from the king of Assyria and his mighty armies. We see that a letter of destruction has been delivered to King Hezekiah, outlining the intent of the Assyrian army, which is utter destruction. And in my opinion, King Hezekiah makes one of the most profoundly wise decisions in a wartime scenario. In Isaiah 37, we see King Hezekiah's first action was to take the message of, the destru of destruction from the king of Assyria, he spread it before the Lord, and he prayed. He didn't ready his troops. He didn't batten down the hatches. He didn't warn his people. He prayed. King Hezekiah acknowledged that in any battle, victory is found in the Lord. I want to read to you King Hezekiah's prayer. It's in Isaiah 37, verses 14 through 20. It says, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Shinnertrib, which have been sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria has laid waste to all the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, they, but they were the works of man's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand that the, all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. Fathers, you cannot fathom the power and weight your words hold in the lives of your children. Do they unequivocally know that their father on earth loves them so much that he is intentionally going to the throne room of the Almighty, interceding for victory on their behalf? Have they audibly heard and experienced your prayers enough that they can confidently walk into this world knowing that war is being waged on their behalf in the spiritual realms? What we see is King Hezekiah humbling himself and coming to the Lord with reverence and respect, acknowledging that only by the hand of the Lord will victory be won. And in verses 33 through 36 of Isaiah 37, we see the Lord's response to King Hezekiah's prayer for deliverance. And this is what the Lord says. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mount against it. By the way he came, by the way he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And then verse 36 says, And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all the dead bodies. King Hezekiah nor the armies of Judah had to lift a finger because the angel of the Lord slaughtered 185,000 of their enemies while they slept. Because King Hezekiah came to the Lord pleading for victory on behalf of his people. 
in our lives, in our struggles, in our battles, in the leadership of our homes, is our first action, humbling ourselves before the Lord in prayer, interceding in behalf of our people, or is it a last-ditch response? What is the response we are living out in front of our kids? See, the Lord is not merely a helper in our victory. He is the victory. And every victory in our lives is provided by him and through him. In Proverbs chapter 21, verses 30 through 31, it says, No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. What does this mean? It means that we are ready for war. We are ready, our sword drawn, ready to go wage war. But the victory that comes to us on any given day is because of the Lord. Because the victory is his. When it comes to our wives, our children, our family, and our communities, are we humbling ourselves in acknowledgement that the victory of their soul is only found in the bloodshed of Jesus on the cross and the supernatural intervention of the Holy Spirit in their lives? And are we daily pleading for victory on their behalf? Lastly, are we praying dangerous prayers over our children? Now, this is a countercultural statement in our modern American churches today, but I believe that the apathetic, passive, and lukewarm state we see in churches today is because we quit praying dangerous prayers over our children. We are commanded by Jesus to go, therefore, and make disciples. We are, called more, we are commanded to go spread the gospel, and that requires us to step into hostile territory. Do we realize that when we pray for our kids to follow the will of the Lord in their life, that means that we are actively pushing them out into the battlefield to go into the darkest places of this world to make the name of Jesus known. Are we willing to pray that our kids will follow the will of the Lord, even if that means putting themselves in harm's way? See, Jesus was abundantly clear on this. He didn't hide his disciples from this. He didn't protect his disciples from this. He didn't hold back punches. He was clear. Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, 36, As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Look, we are not called to live a safe, comfortable life. We are called to go to war. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable, and, and I'm going to summarize it, but it's a parable of three servants that were entrusted with money from their master as the master went out on a, a journey. Two of the men, two of the servants, took the money and invested it. And when the master returned, they had his money, and then they had, had doubled his money with increase. To those, the master said, well done, my good and faithful servants. The third man was afraid. He was either afraid he would lose it, he was afraid that someone would come steal it, and so he went to a field, dug a hole, and he buried it up. And when the master returned, he came back, he gave the master the money with no increase. And the master looked at the servant and said, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I do not sow and I gather where I scatter no seed, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. And then he said, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When it comes to my family, 
I want us to hear from the master, well done, my good and faithful servants. But that requires that myself as the leader step on the battlefield and train my kids to wage war so that we can go into this world and find the increase to the kingdom of God. Are we living out the Great Commission? Are we searching for the lost? Are we making disciples? The master has entrusted us with this amazing gift of salvation. Are we looking for the increase or have we just dug a hole and buried it and sitting on it? Are we apathetic and passive to the souls that are lost and dying around us, including the ones in our own homes? I'm going to begin closing. Abigail, if you'd like to come up. I want to close with 1 Samuel chapter 17, and this is the story of David and Goliath. Now, I know everybody in here probably knows this story. Shoot, people that have never been in church have probably heard this story, but there is much here for us. Starting in verse 45 of chapter 17, it says this, Then David said to the Philistine, or to Goliath, he's talking to Goliath, he said, You come at me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. And I will give all the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and a spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And when the Philistine arose and came near to Jerusalem, drew near to meet David, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. What astounds me is that a young man, which many scholars say was between the ages of 11 and 13, stood before a giant with boldness and swagger. And he made it abundantly clear that his confidence was solely in the Lord and that victory would only be found in the Lord. He did what all the men of Israel were afraid to do. In verse 24, if you go back, it says that when the men of Israel saw the giant, they fled because they were afraid. What all the trained, battle-ready warriors of Israel were afraid to do, a young, ruddy shepherd boy stood tall with a sling and a rock. Kind of sounds like charging the gates of hell with a water pistol, doesn't it? But notice this. In verse 48, it says, When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David ran quickly to the battle line. He didn't retreat. He didn't hunker down. He didn't hold his ground. He ran full speed to the battle line. He was not passive. He was not apathetic. He was, in con- he was bold, confident, and intentional on his action plan. Let me ask you this. Where are you today? Are you apathetically sitting back at camp? waiting around to see what will happen? Did you know that in all the volunteer opportunities that the American church has to offer today, statistically speaking, less than 18% of those volunteer and serve opportunities are held by men. That means that over 80% of the church is being ran by God-fearing women. God bless those women. But men, we are called to lead. We are called to go first. Let's step up. I don't care if you don't like babies. Go hold a baby and pray over them and intercede on their behalf. Find a place where you can serve. 
Maybe you've made it to the battlefield, but you're passively standing back, just holding your ground. Or are you actively and quickly running to the battle line? As we all know the story, David sunk that rock into the forehead of Goliath and he fell to the ground. And in verse 51 and 52, it says, Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword out and drew it, drew it out of the sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. Listen, men. David's actions was a spark that ignited a wildfire in the men of Israel. And they rose with a shout themselves, ran to the battle line, pursuing the Philistine and defeating the forces that dared to defy the armies of the living God. In our lives, are we creating sparks through the actions, through our actions, that will create wildfires in our souls of our children to carefully pay attention to their way, to walk courageously in the charge of the Lord? The life we live in surrenderment to Jesus has power to raise up mighty, God-fearing men and women. Are we training our kids for battle? Do they know that, know that a war rages around them and they are prepared to step on the battlefield and go to war on behalf of the name of Jesus? Listen, church, we could talk about the downfalls of society and we could sit back shaking our heads in disgust. Or we can realize that we are the responsible ones. And we will be held accountable for our failure to raise up and protect and diligently raise our kids to walk faithfully in the charge of the Lord. Men, we are the difference makers in our homes and our communities. We are called to be the spiritual leaders. But the fact of the matter is, the 100% truth fact is this. You are incapable to spiritually lead your family unless you have surrendered your life to the authority and leadership of Jesus Christ. We are all sinners and we all deserve death. But God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the first step of leading and spiritually leading in the, in the spiritual realms is surrendering all we have to the authority and leadership of Jesus Christ and daily pick up our cross and daily follow him. The hard truth is, is that one day, men, each, and each one of us individually will stand before the throne room of the Almighty to give an account on how we raised our children. And I believe in my own life, I like to believe that the Lord is going to start that process exactly the words he spoke to Job in Job 38, verses 1 through 3. And he says this, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is it that darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. It is long past due that the men of the church act like men put on the armor, pick up the sword, bow their head, and go to war. I'm going to finish with three verses. And then this altar is going to be open. And my hope and my prayer is that this altar is filled with men that are ready to go to war. Because if we continue to apathetically and passively sit back, I don't even want to think about it. It is time we step up. It is time we start going to war on behalf of the ones that are behind us and raising them up to follow the charge of the Lord. James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working.
1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And finally, Joshua 24, 15. Choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to pray and this altar will be open. Lord, I pray that we come right now and we examine our hearts. We examine our lives. Lord, it, we need men to stand up. We need men to start going to war on a daily basis on behalf of their wives, their children, their communities. Lord, that is what you have called us to be. And Lord, I pray these men have God-fearing women beside them that are loving on them, encouraging them, and pushing them to follow you with everything they have. This world needs leadership, and it is on our shoulders, and we have sat back, passive and apathetic, for way too long. Lord, thank you for what you did for us on the cross. And I pray that if there is any man here today or any person in general that has not surrendered their life to you, I pray that they know that you bought them with a price on, cross, on the cross. You shed your blood for them so that they could live eternally with you. Lord, I pray that you come into this place right now and you stir the hearts of these men. I pray that there's one good man that will come to this altar and through his actions, he ignites a wildfire in the men of liberty that will then ignite a wildfire in the men of, of Franklin County that then will ignite a wildfire in the men of this world. Thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Nimrod Outdoors, find us on Facebook or look us up at nimrodoutdoors.com. We hope you have a great day, and we hope to see you next time.